All right, so I'm gonna look really weird up here tonight. I gotta add an additional microphone because our, our recording system hasn't been working like we wanted to all the time for the podcast. So I'm gonna wear another microphone and y'all don't let me get too far from the table. If I get farther than this, somebody say stop. Okay, can y'all do that? Okay, thank you, I appreciate that. All right, so tonight we are jumping into a new book. I wanna ask you guys, how many of you have ever heard the phrase before, good things come in small packages? Anybody ever heard that? What does that mean? No clue, okay. What do, what do you think that means? Amelia. Okay, sometimes the best things in life can be unassuming. Anybody want to add to that? We all going to go with that? Let me give you an example, okay? How many of you like candy bars? How many of you like Three Musketeers? Okay, well then put your hand down if you don't like them. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty easy answer. So, is it worth having a small free musketeer? Yeah. Is that still a good thing? So it's a good thing in a little package, right? Okay, so here, somebody have that then. And over here. Okay, or how about this? Are gift cards a small package? Do good things come in small gift card packages? Because I have two Krispy Kreme gift cards right here. Now, full disclosure, hold on, sit down, Chase. Full disclosure, these could have $5 on them, these could have five cents on them. I don't know. Who wants them anyway? Okay, so we're willing to take that chance. All right, let's see if I can. No! That's the best I can do. Oh, look out, now we got rug burn. Now we got, that's all I got, Lena. I'm sorry, that's it. So, now, hold on. So you guys kind of just prove my point, okay? Maybe, maybe you don't know what the phrase means, but you know the idea behind it. That if there's something that you like, it doesn't matter how small it is, you're willing to take a risk, you're willing to get rug burn to get down here and get a, a Krispy Kreme card that could even have five cents on it. Good things do come in small packages, and here's why I say that tonight. Because the book of the Bible that we're about to jump into is a short, small book. It's the book of Philemon. Has anybody in here ever read that book before? A couple of you. Do you know how many verses are in that book? Who said it? How many? 25. There's 25 verses in the entire book. There are chapters in the book of Psalms that are four times that long. Just chapters. Much less the entire book. This is a small book. But as we get into this book tonight, what we're going to see over the next couple weeks is there's a lot of good stuff in this small book. There's a lot of important things that, that God uses to teach us uh, as we walk through what's going on here. So tonight, I'm going to start, and hey, it's week one again with me asking the questions, so we'll see if you know the answers. I'm going to ask you some of the questions that I always ask when we walk through a book of the Bible. Because as you study a book, it's good to have some background information. So let's start with this. Who wrote the book of Philemon? Paul. Paul, yes. All right, I'm going to go ahead and ask the question. Where do we think he was when he wrote it? Jail. Yes, jail. That's exactly right. All right. Do we have an idea of when we believe it was written? Some, what'd you say? You're reading it. What is it? Okay, so somewhere we believe around 60, 62 AD. So yeah, that'd be approximate right there. Okay, it's believed that he wrote this around the same time that he wrote Ephesians and Colossians. So there's some similarities between this one and some of those books. Um, who was it written to? Colossians. 
Oh, this is a fun one. Who just said the Church of Philemon? Yeah, that, that, um, you kind of, you kind of got the answer meshed together here, Brenton. Phil, he wrote it to Phil. Okay, um, should we call him Phil for the rest of the time? No, we're going to call him Philemon. We're going to go long here. Um, so he wrote it to a guy named Philemon. But he's not the only person that he wrote it to. Um, it also says in the beginning of the book that, that he's supposed to read it or he has stuff in there addressed to a church. There's a church that meets in Philemon's home. So this letter is for him, yes, but there's also some things in there that the church needs to know. Does anybody know what the main idea of this book is? Oh, that got quiet. Philemon? Philemon? Philemony? I mean, you can say it different ways. Philemon. What's the main idea? Okay. That, that is part of why he did it, but what's the overarching main idea? Because it's greater than just that one situation. Say that again. To accept him as a brother in Christ. Let me read this sentence to you because you're hitting all over it. It's the power of the gospel to transform lives and impact relationships. That's what this entire book is about. It's a short book. It's 25 verses. But the whole thing that we see in this book is the power of the gospel to transform lives and impact relationships. Now, what you were talking about, Bree, is what brings us to the why. Why did he write this book? What prompted it? What's going on? Anybody? A couple of you said you read it before. Slavery. Slavery, okay. Particularly, what about slavery? I took it from Laura. You took it from Laura. <laughs> All right, so here's what's going on. There's a guy, and his name is Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave in Philemon's house. We, we don't know what kind of slave, what the situation was, but he was a slave there. And what most commentators believe, what most theologians believe, is that something happened and, and Onesimus ran away. He ran away from Philemon's home. There are some people that believe that he actually stole money from Philemon, and that's why he ran. So for him, this is a big deal, because the status of slaves in this society, especially in the Roman culture that they lived in, they were not considered very high as far as their social status. In fact, if, if he did these things, he's a runaway slave. And if he actually um, stole money, there's a chance that if he's caught and brought back, one of the punishments he could receive is two brands on his forehead. One that indicates he's a runaway slave and one that indicates that he's a thief. So he's got, he's got some of the heavy stuff that he's dealing with right now if he is act, in actuality a thief. In fact, it, it gets so bad, there's one historical account of a guy who had a slave and, and his, actually had 400 slaves, and one of his slaves killed him. And in the process of that slave kind of being tried and, and being prosecuted, the, the prosecutor asked that not just that slave be killed, but all 400 slaves be killed to set an example so that they would know nobody else should try this again. And they won. So all 400 of these guys' slaves were publicly executed as an example for all other slaves not to do something like that again. So if, if he has done these things, this guy Onesimus, if he has run away, which he has, and if he has actually stolen money, there's a pretty good chance he's going to die if he gets caught. But in the process of his running, he encounters Paul. 
Somehow, we, we don't know the details of it, we don't know exactly where he was or how this happened. We believe it was while he was in Rome, because this imprisonment that Paul has, if you go back and you look at Acts 27 and 28, that's where he's on his way to prison in Rome. And, and um, scholars believe that that's when Onesimus would have run into him. And somehow, through that encounter, through that relationship, Onesimus puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And now he's got a dilemma. Because if he's going to live out what he says he believes, then he's got to live obediently to God's word. And God's word tells him he's supposed to honor his master. God's word tells him he's not supposed to steal. God's word tells him he's supposed to go back and do the right thing. And yet if he goes back and does the right thing, he can lose his life. This is what's happening as Paul writes this letter. But notice he's not writing this letter to Onesimus. He's writing this letter to Philemon because he wants to communicate something to him. And that's the thing, something that we're going to start to understand as we walk through this tonight. And as we go through this, we're going to read tonight just the first seven verses. And I've got Mr. Brenton Hall is going to read that for us. So come on up here, Brenton. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is this one on? There we go. Can you use that one right there? Absolutely. Perfect. The old phone Bible. Go for it. <laughs> Greeting. Wait, wait. Thank you. I always ask you guys to stand in honor of reading of God's word. I'm getting way ahead of myself tonight. Thank you. Those of you who caught my mistake. All right. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> Can you hear this? Hello? Yes. Hey. Greeting. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Continue. No, no, pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather here and fellowship with each other and, and under your teaching, Lord. Just help us to gain from this and apply it to our lives, Lord. And be with us as we go from here and keep us all safe and happy and healthy. We love you, Lord, and see you in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Brenton. Yeah, Brenton. And hey, I, I just got to say, those of you who stood up without me saying anything, you just make my heart happy when I see that. Um, that's, that's awesome. So we're going to walk through this, and there's two things that that I want us to see tonight as we walk through this. And the first one is this. We see it in the first three verses. It's the fact that you are connected to others through the gospel of Jesus. You as a believer, as a disciple, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are connected to others through the gospel. And we see that in these first three verses because of the names that Paul starts throwing out here. He starts off in that first verse, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athea, and our, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So as we have already stated, Paul is where again? Jail. Yeah, he's, he's in jail. Remember, we, we talked about that before. Nine times out of ten, if somebody says, where was Paul when he wrote this? If you say jail, you're probably going to be right. It's not all of them, but it's a lot of them. And it's believed that that was that Acts 27, Acts 28. And if you don't know what happened there, Paul was arrested. Paul was on his way to Rome, and he was on a ship that actually shipwrecked. 
Okay? And, and when that shipwreck, he ended up on this island, and on this island with the other people, they're gathering wood, they're starting this fire, and he goes to put his hand into the, the wood pile, and he gets bitten by a snake. So Paul, Paul is going through some, some junk here to be able to tell people about who Jesus is. And he's actually trying to get to Rome as a prisoner. He wants to go there because he wants to share Christ with the Romans. So it's believed that's when he was uh, writing this, when he was going through all of that. But what he does right here is look at that first verse. He says, Paul, a prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. He doesn't say a prisoner of the Romans, a prisoner of the guards that had me on that ship, a prisoner of the people who chained me up. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, because even in all of the junk that he's going through and the fact that he's in prison, Paul still sees purpose in his circumstances. He still sees that what he's doing, it doesn't have anything to do with him personally. Everything he is going through, he is enduring for the sake of Christ Jesus. And that's important to pay attention to, because there's going to be times in your life where you have circumstances that are not pleasant. Things that are happening that don't make sense. But if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you can still serve him in those circumstances. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. And he mentions Timothy. This is the same Timothy that he wrote the books of 1 and 2 Timothy 2. Some scholars believe that he mentions Timothy here because Timothy might have been acting as his scribe. You know, Paul's talking and he's just writing it out. We talked about that in the last book we went through. We don't know that. That's, that's just a guess. But either way, there's a connection between Paul and Timothy. And he's writing to this guy by the name of Philemon and he calls him my beloved fellow worker. What Paul is doing right there is he's showing that they've got a common goal. He's calling him a fellow worker. It's kind of like there's, okay, some of you in here, how many of you in here work for Chick-fil-A? Okay. Put your hand down. You eat at Chick-fil-A a lot, yes. But you, you guys work at Chick-fil-A, okay? Some of you longer than others. But you have a common goal, don't you? To go home. To go home. <laughs> but there's a goal there. I tell you my goal. My goal is to get as many of you to say my pleasure as I can while I'm in there. Did y'all know that Jared, outside of Chick-fil-A, will not say my pleasure? I say it more outside of work. What's wrong with that? He won't do it. Y'all need, do the rest of y'all do that? I say it more outside of work than I do at Chick-fil-A. Uh, you okay. Jerry, you can't get on the ball. Come on, buddy. I, he says it, just not to me. Okay, that's fair. But, hey, you have a common goal. Your common goal is to get home. <laughs> you want to shut it down. You want to get off work. You want to get home. But what Paul is doing here is Paul is, is indicating their common goal. When he says, my beloved fellow worker, he's reminding us and he's reminding Philemon that, hey, we're doing the same thing. What I'm doing here as a prisoner, what you're doing leading this church or hosting this church in your home and what you're doing as a disciple. We are both trying to spread the gospel of Jesus and we are both trying to make disciples. Now, they may not be doing it together physically, but they are still working towards that common goal. And that should, that should stop us for a second because we need to remember a lot of times what happens is we get very focused on what we are doing as a group and what we are doing as a church. And we forget that there are other gospel, Bible-believing teachers and, and, and churches out there that are trying to do the exact same thing that we're trying to do. That we are partnered with other people in the same goal of spreading the gospel and making disciples the way that we are all called to do. 
And we may be working at it separately in different ways in different churches, but if, if churches are teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see in Scripture and striving to make disciples, then we all have the exact same goal in mind. I, I, I pray this is what I hope to see. We've got some college students that are going to be heading off. The seniors that just graduated in the next few weeks or the next few months, whether you're going to work or you're going to school or wherever you go, my prayer is that you are going to find a Bible-believing, teaching church. And when they do that, everybody else, guess what? We are still partnered with them in the same way. They're just doing it in a different place. That's what Paul is pointing out here when he talks about Philemon and he calls him his, his fellow soldier. They're all working to do the exact same thing. And then you see this, uh, these two names, that Aphia is, is possibly Philemon's wife. That's what some scholars believe. And Archippus is possibly Philemon's son. I have no idea if I said those correctly. You can check me later. Good luck with that. We don't know if that's who that is, but there are some scholars who believe that. We do see their names show up again in Colossians. I'm not going to read it, but Colossians 4.17. Remember, we believe that this book and Colossians were written about the same time. So it makes sense that Paul's talking about them in both, both of those places. And he writes it to this church that's meeting in their home. Because in that time, the political status of Christians, the social status of Christians is not like it is today. We have the freedom to come together on a Wednesday night and meet in this building and the adults across the street and the kids over here and do that without having to really worry about any problems. But in these times, they didn't have that. They didn't have these centralized churches that people came to. They had to meet in homes. And that's why Paul points this out here. And then on verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is doing right there is Paul is beginning with a standard greeting that he typically uses. We see it in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1, 3, Philippians 1, 2, and there's a whole bunch of others where Paul uses almost that exact same greeting. In every one of these, Paul, he's referencing every one of these, these people have the same thing in common. They are all connected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The names that he listed and all the names he didn't list from the church. Some of them are from different backgrounds. Some of them are from different families. Some of them are from different cities or even different churches. Yet the one thing that binds them all together is their focus and their calling from Jesus Christ. It was true for them and it's true for us. We sit in this room tonight and there are people from different families. There are people from different backgrounds. There's people from different cultural backgrounds. There's just people from different socioeconomic statuses. And yet, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are bound together. I'll, I'll use this as, as an example. Mr. Corey, wave at everybody. Hey, y'all. See Mr. Corey back there? Mr. Corey and I grew up in different places. We come from different family backgrounds. We've had different experiences, hung around different people, and yet, as different as we may have been up until a point, there's a commonality in our lives now because we both put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God can use that, and God does use that. God t- <laughs> Mr. Corey tells you middle school boys all the time, he doesn't even like teenagers, right? Yeah. yeah. But you know what? Hey, does he act like it most of the time? No, he doesn't. Sometimes he does. You get him tired of camp at the wall. I mean, but most of the time, hey, God has used his upbringing and his background in a unique way to share the gospel and make disciples. And he does the same thing with every single person in this room that has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. 
because we are connected to other people through the gospel. And God uses those connections and those backgrounds to accomplish his will so that more people will know who he is. That's the first three verses. Now, starting in verse four, the second thing we see is this. And this is what we get from Philemon because we've already seen it, is that your faith should affect others. The faith that you say you have, the things you say you believe, that should impact the lives of people around you. Look at verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul is starting off there. He's saying, I'm thankful to God when I remember you in my prayers. Because of what Paul believes about God and what he understands about Scripture, Paul knows he needs to pray for other believers. He's spending time praying for these people. Remember, he's not physically with them. He's not currently serving in the church, doing ministry with them, but they are connected through the gospel. And because they are connected through the gospel, Paul knows he needs to pray for these people. And we see that Paul does that regularly over and over again in his letters. Those books I referenced before, if you just go one verse later where he says, you know, grace and peace to you, he begins the very next verse and he says, I pray for you. In Romans 1.8, in 1 Corinthians 1.4, in Philippians 1.3, he prays, prays for them and gives thanks for them and how they are living out their faith. And remember, he's not observing this firsthand. It says right there in verse 5, again, it says, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He's not there experiencing this. He's not there seeing this. He has simply heard about Philemon and these other believers. He's heard about their faith in Jesus. He's heard about how their faith moves them to love other people. They have a good reputation because what they believe has moved them to action. That's a testimony to how Philemon and the others are living out what they believe. Their faith moved them to do something, and that action is impacting the lives of those around them. If we read Scripture, and we say we believe Scripture, and we understand Scripture, and we stop with it right in our heads, then we've missed the whole point. What you say you believe should move you to action. Your faith should affect those around you. In fact, James talks about that. James uh, chapter 2, verse 14, he said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What you believe should move you to action. The love that you say you understand and you experience from God, the grace and the mercy in your own life should lead you to show that to others in their lives. And as you do that, people will see that God is working through you. You don't do it so that people will say, hey, good job, you're awesome. You do it so people can say, great God, he's awesome. That's what, that's what Paul is communicating to Philemon. That is what he's seen. That's what he's heard. And then in verse 6 there, that reference to the partnership he has with Philemon in the gospel. Again, they're working for the same goal. They're striving for the same purpose. And that purpose is one that comes from God. 
It's not like these two guys got together and said, you know what? We're going to make this place better. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. No, they got together because God brought them together. Because God had a plan for them and a purpose for them. And they're simply living out the gospel in their lives. It's not a purpose that's man-made. It's a purpose that is given by God and empowered only through the Holy Spirit. And then this last verse, verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon has been a blessing in Paul's life. We don't have specific details here. He doesn't say, hey, thank you for doing this and thank you for doing that. But what we see with what Paul is writing is that he's experienced joy and comfort in his own life. That means that what Paul or what Philemon said he believed affect others around him. It affected them. His faith moved him to action. And because it moved him to action, other people are affected. And because of that, Paul has experienced joy and comfort. And that's a big deal. So what? So what does that mean for us sitting here tonight? Well, the first thing is this, is you have to remember you're connected to other people through the gospel. There's people sitting in this room tonight. You may not even know their name. You know they come to youth group because they're here every week. You see them. Maybe they kicked your tail in the cup game sometime, but you don't know their name. You are connected to other people, other believers through the gospel. That means you have the opportunity to know them, to pray for them, to serve with them, to encourage them. As a disciple of Jesus, you get to be a part of something greater than your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. You get to do it with other believers around you because this whole thing, it's certainly bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than this church. It's bigger than Camden County because it's a God-sized thing. And we get to be a part of it together. So are you connecting with other people because of the gospel? Not just because your parents or your grandparents said, oh, you got to go to church tonight. No, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are connected to other people and you are connected for a purpose. And that's to share the gospel and make disciples. And you get to do it together. That's the first so what. And the second one is this. When you do that, your faith will affect those around you. The way that you walk with Christ. The things that you're learning, the way that you're growing, your beliefs will move you to action. And it will begin to affect the people around you. When you pray for other believers, you have an effect on their lives. When you serve with other believers, like Vacation Bible School and that training meeting we have tonight, it may not seem like it, but those four-year-olds through fifth graders, they are picking up something about what you're talking about when it comes to God. Even if it's just... Your faith moving you to action affects the lives around you. All of those kids, all of those families, when you pay attention to those connections you have to other believers, and when you act on what you believe, when you let it move you to action, you have an unbelievable impact in this world. On the people that are around you, on your classmates. I know most of you aren't in school anymore. None of you are in school anymore. But your teammates, the people you work with over the summer, For some of you, your family, you may be the only one who's put your faith and trust 
in Christ in your family. You don't have to do that alone. God has connected you to other believers. And he's given you each other to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to lift each other up. And scripture tells us to stir one another up to love and good works. What you say you believe should move you to action. And you do not have to do that action alone because you are connected to others through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you tonight, my encouragement for you tonight is first and foremost, pray for the other believers you know in your life. Lift them up. Encourage them. Connect with them. Find ways to serve with them. And the second is this. Take everything that you've learned, all the Wednesdays you've been in here, all the Sundays you've been in church, all the mornings you've been in life group or camps or retreats or all of these different things, take what you have learned and let it move you to action. To live out the gospel. To make disciples. And let's do it together because that is what God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, we thank you for books like this that sometimes we gloss over so quickly because it seems like there's not a lot there. But God, there's so much there for us to see. Lord, help each one of us to remember tonight that you've connected us together through your son, Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Lord, let that knowledge, let that faith move us to action. Give us the courage to encourage each other, to pray for each other, and the desire and the will to serve each other and serve with each other. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.